Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 271 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 20th, 2013. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. After taking last week off, I was down under in Australia, but we are back this week. we got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on, Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We've got a bunch of questions to get to. If you have questions for us, send them in, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or call us, 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail. And you can also go to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right from your computer on the left side of the page. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde joining us right away. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, I understand you're on secret assignment. That forced me to go on secret assignment, <laughs> too. So for everyone out there, I hope you're on secret assignment. You have a lot of questions for us because we're raring to go. We had a bye week. So let's get started. Yeah, we got a bye week and wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything here in Southern California or across the nation, concerts, sporting events, you want to go to a theater with your wife or girlfriend, something like that, check it out. I don't know what the local teams have been doing since I've been gone. I don't, I don't think it's been very good. <laughs> I think the Kings have made a comeback, but I don't think baseball has been doing very well locally. But if you want to go see any of those games, you can go to sctickets.com. And they will hook you up. Uh, Coach, well, we did. We had this. We like to get the short questions in and try to get as many as we can. But this was an interesting topic that we got a couple emails on. So I'm going to try to read. I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's kind of long. It's from the Midnight Rambler. So he rambled on a little bit. While listening to the show in late April, I recall hearing Coach Hyde express his opinion about players being assessed a fee equivalent to a year's tuition and associated costs should they leave school early for the pros. In the case of USC, that would be quite a sum. I disagree with his view as it puts an undue and unfair demand upon the player. If a coach leaves before the end of his contract, the balance is usually bought out by a new team who hires him or the school that has fired him. Either way, no such penalty is paid directly by them. On the flip side, if a school were to dismiss a player for grades or conduct, Can that player demand his share of the gate and marketing proceeds that USC received during his time there? It cuts both ways. USC's football team, according to Forbes magazine, made a profit of $29 million in 2011. That said, it's true that the yearly cost of a player's education is $150,000. They'll multiply by 75 scholarship. The total is only about $11.2 million, well under the $29 million the school reportedly made free and clear. The kids get a share at the gate, the concessions, marketing sales, uh, stuff like that. Uh, when a kid stays all four years and suffers an injury that will rest, last for his rest of his life, what will happen there? And it kind of kind of goes on and on. But you kind of get the idea of what uh, he's talking about there, Coach. Maybe you want to respond to the Midnight Rambler who wrote that. And he says, thanks for reading and fight on. He loves the podcast. Well, I respect his feelings. You know, we didn't get into the complete package of the other side, and that's what he's doing. And I agree with him a lot on the other side. I think it's not fair when a coach such as, uh, if you remember a few years ago, Dennis Erickson went up to recruiting day at Oregon State, signed all the players, and then left the next day for the San Francisco 49er job. Now, I, don't th- I think that's misleading. I think every single one of those players should be released. Now, if they still want to go to Oregon State, that's fine. But I think they should be released and then have an opportunity to look at other options. Uh, today... Young student-athletes go to universities because of the university, but they also go there because of the coach, the coaching staff, the system he runs, and uh, and on and on and on. So there's both sides to this. As far as the side I was discussing uh, two weeks ago, it was about athletes who come out early. Now let me give you just two examples, and then we'll go to the other side of it. When I was at UNLV, Randall Cunningham was our quarterback, and after his junior year, He came in one day in the afternoon, and they were forming this new United States uh, Football League, and he came in and he said, Coach, uh, I think I'm going to go. I've got an offer. Uh, 
I lost both my parents. We need the money. I think I'm going to leave, and uh, I've had a great op- great time here, and blah, 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 we won. And I said, Randall, I want you to go think about it. And you can imagine my evening. All of a sudden, I have a staff meeting. I say, we got to get somebody else ready. Who does it look like? This is going to happen. It's going to hit the press, and, and all of this and that. Who's out there available to recruit? Because a lot of people didn't want to come because Randall was there, especially a junior college athlete. So uh, the next day, he comes strolling into my office and uh, sits down. And, of course, uh, I'm going to see what he's been doing. And he says to me, hey, Coach, remember what I told you yesterday? I said, yes. He said, I was just kidding you. <laughs> I said, Randall, I, I, I said, I didn't sleep the entire night. We had a staff meeting. He said, Coach, I'm sorry, but, you know, you always fool with us, so I wanted to fool with you. And said, don't ever do that again. So <laughs> you can <laughs> You can see what that does to a coaching staff and a team. And again, let's take the Mark Sanchez situation. A couple of years ago, Mark Sanchez came out early. And uh, sure, I don't blame him for coming out early. He made a lot of money, went to New York, good kid, everything went great. But then it put USC in a position they weren't expecting him to come out early. Matt Barkley had to start as a freshman. They had to start over immediately. And it put a lot of stress on Matt and and uh, the football program at USC. So I'm saying yes, you can go out, but I don't think you should. I don't think you should use a university as an amateur program where it just gets you ready. When you're ready to go, you leave. Now you can, but also you can pay back the university for the tuition costs that they spent on you during this period of time. And not only that, Mark Sanchez made enough money that it would be a deduction for him to pay back that money to the university and then the tax bracket he's in, it'd be a hell of a deal. It would be a donation to the athletic department. Now, of course, if you're an athlete that's not sure if you're going to go in the first round, it gives you an opportunity to think about it a little bit more. Should I really come out? Should I give up this athletic scholarship? Am I going to make enough money or am I guaranteed to make enough money? And I got to remember I have to pay this back. So it makes a more thinking process for the parents and the athlete before he says, I'm going out. Now, on the other side, I think this gentleman, uh, Mid- Midnight Rider, is that what you call him? Yeah. <laughs> I think Midnight Rambler, good... he said, yeah. Oh, no, no, I agree with him. I think that the university makes millions of dollars on these student athletes. Millions of dollars. And uh, they don't really reap the benefits. They've changed a lot of the NCAA requirements now where you can help kids and do different things before it. You couldn't do anything for a kid. You couldn't send him to a dentist unless it was an athletic injury. You couldn't help a kid go home if his mother passed away. He had to get there on his own or sometimes couldn't even go because he didn't have the financial means to do that. Well, now the university can assist in different ways to do that. The millions of dollars that are made, they're building all of these facilities. They're paying coaches for $3 million, $2 million, $1 million a year. It's not amateur athletics. It's professional athletics on an amateur level. So I think that the players should be rewarded too, and we talked about that. As far as players who need the money, they should be given money as a loan so that they can live as a normal student on campus and not have to go day-to-day without any social money or being able to go and buy a shirt or do any of that stuff. I believe that. So it goes both ways. And the marketing, the number one thing I, I don't like is when they sell their jerseys with their names on them. Now, they're using their names, and they're selling these jerseys with their names on them or their numbers and making a lot of money. But this is the one that I can't really figure out because they're the most popular jersey. Everybody wants to wear them. In the NFL, the players get money for that. Uh, every jersey that's sold, they get, I think, 10 or $11 per jersey out of 130 or $150 jersey. So there's a lot of abuse, too, to the college athlete. I agree. But there's a lot of good and opportunity where a young man has an opportunity to get an athletic scholarship and also an academic degree. I'm so happy to see Deion Bailey get his athletic degree degree as a junior. D.J. Morgan, the same thing, just graduated. Hey, that's tremendous to see that, and if they stay and they keep on working, they'll get their M.A. degree before they move on, like Brandon Hancock and other players have done at USC. But I just like to see a student-athlete stay in school, have the college's experiences that he should have, 
play for that team, not leave his team and move on. But then I do see the opportunity. And if it was my son, would I go out if he was going to get $15 million? Absolutely. So I can see both sides of it, just making a comment on it. And uh, I think it's something that should be looked at. No, certainly. And, Coach, one of the, I guess the unique situation, not unique, but we see kind of this stuff happen fairly often. Nikhil Roby was a junior. Uh, he ended up leaving school early and wasn't drafted. Now, you know, signed with a team and everything. But um, what about in situations like that? What do you think about about those? Well, I think that's part of the process as far as a young man having to make a decision and getting false advice or doing something emotionally. That They came off a season that wasn't very good. Uh, I have a feeling that it was an emotional decision. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not happy, blah, blah, blah. We went seven and six. I think you got to sit down with this kid, someone and that he respects, and talk to him and uh, say, you know, this isn't a smart thing to do, but you can't stop him. But he went on, and you use this as examples to other players before they move on. People get hurt in making emotional decisions like this. He's not the only one. There's a lot of them that went on, uh, went out, not only just at SC, at a lot of universities that didn't get drafted that are out there doing free agency. So uh, these are things that are part of athletics today, and uh, – I think they should be dealt with differently, and I agree with this gentleman 100% as far as coaches leaving. And uh, uh, maybe if you're a, a freshman when a coach leaves, you should be given that option that if you want to leave the university, if you don't like who the new head coach has been named, you have the opportunity to be a free agent. You can stay, but also you could go too. Um, all right, well, let's move on to some other questions. Melvin wanted to know, why do you think George Farmer has – why has George Farmer not played well enough in games or practices to not get significant playing time? What do you think about that, Coach? Well, first of all, I think he's had great competition. Secondly, he's had injury problems. This spring he had a great spring and then was injured again. I think it's, again, timing, being in the right place at the right time with the right attitude, maturing. Maybe when he came out of high school he was more mature then a lot of the other kids have had that happen, and other kids catch up to you. And all of a sudden, uh, your great athletic ability is now equalized because other kids have come up and matured and worked hard and uh, given that extra effort that uh, they have passed you by. We don't know the entire situation as far as off the field, on the field, the issues, the play calling, the correct routes that are called. Do you make the right reads? We don't know those issues. At least I don't. I think he's a fabulous athlete. I think he's got the ability to play in the NFL. He would have been the, I think, third receiver for sure in the spring, but he injured himself. He's got, what, two more years coming back. I think the number one thing he has to overcome is his injury problem because that's going to be looked at very strongly, too, by the NFL. Now, on the positive side, he should be a college graduate. He should graduate. He should get all his classwork done, maybe even graduate early. We can go and get, on, get an advanced degree. So you've got to look at the positives and the negatives. I've had great athletes come out of high school, come to the college level, and never get any better because they matured earlier. They were playing at a, a rate where they were just bigger, stronger, and faster than kids that were the same age they were as seniors in, in high school. Or they were redshirted in kindergarten. Now, a lot of parents today redshirt their kids. I call it redshirted. <laughs> Where they don't put them in kindergarten until they're six, six years old. What is the rush? They're more mature. They become leaders in the school. Uh, they're better athletes. They have all this going along where they're going to be a little bit more mature. They're going to be the leader rather than the follower, especially if they're a little bit smaller. But this, this is things that people do. And then all of a sudden, when the other kids catch up with this athlete, then it sort of equalizes everything, and you have to look at the whole whole uh, situation. But I think George Farmer is a great athlete. I think he should be playing. It's too bad about the injury situation, but I think, too, uh, he's got to focus, get himself ready to play, and he can't blame anybody but himself. Who can he blame? He's had these injuries problems, and he's got to overcome them. Uh, good stuff there. We'll see what happens. George Farmer did have surgery a few days ago, so he's working on his recovery right now. We'll follow him, but he definitely will be out for the year. Um, 
JJB had a question, Coach, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but this is something I certainly noticed kind of happens with this USC program for some reason. Uh, he said Pete Carroll would let the quarterbacks battle it out in the spring and the fall, but by the first game he would pick a starter and stick with them throughout the season. Is there any chance that Lane Kiffin might take a different course and put a QB in if the starter is not moving the team like he should have done against Georgia Tech, or do you think he's a Pete Carroll clone. And I, I think he has a good point here, Coach. It, it seems like at USC over the years, even when you know successful teams, whatever, it seems like a, a huge reluctance to ever take out the starter or, or replace the starter, no matter what. It just seems like once a starter's picked, it's like set in stone. Well, I tell you, you have to be mature and your timing and your evaluation process has to be right on. You've got to have the fortitude. You've got to have the guts to make that change. I've had to make that change twice in my life, and I'll give you an example. I was playing, we were playing for junior college championship in, uh, against College of Sequoias in uh, Visalia uh, one year when I was a head coach at Pasadena City College, and at halftime, we're down. I forget, 20-6 to six to the College of Sequoias. And the, the quarterback that started for us, we're undefeated, they're undefeated, was the sports editor's son, at the passing of Star News. At halftime, I talked with my quarterback uh, coach, and I said, hey, we got to make a change. This, is, this isn't happening. He's off. we got to make a change. And the quarterback coach told me, he says, Coach, if we don't win this football game, you can imagine the headlines tomorrow. I said, yeah, we can imagine the headlines tomorrow, but we got to make a change because this is our job to coach this football team. We're not going to have a reporter coach this football team. We made the change. Janae Wallace came in. Through a couple of touchdown passes, our running game got going, and we won the game. After the game, of course, I had to be interviewed by this guy and talk about it, and he asked me, why did I make this change? I said, because we weren't producing. We had to make a change. We had to do something to stimulate our football team. If we'd have gone along with the same quarterback, at the same time, our team would not have looked forward to the second half because we weren't playing with the damn. So, uh, the next situation was when I was at UNLV. My first game against UNLV, at UNLV, we played on national television against BYU. Steve Young was the quarterback. The year before it was Jim McMahon, and we'd beaten him. UNLV had beaten him. And uh, I didn't know anything about Steve Young. And uh, Steve White was a quarterback that was returning at UNLV, along with a couple of other quarterbacks. And we got beat 29 to zip. Now, it's been a long time since I've been shut out. I went back. We had 10 days to prepare for our second game. And I told our team, I told our quarterbacks, I said, I want you to know we're opening up the quarterback position. There isn't a quarterback. We don't get shut out. We're going to find out now if it is the same guy. Okay, it's the same guy. And we opened it up. And I remember Randall Cunningham coming in my office and saying, Coach, are you serious? You're going to open this up. I don't believe you. I said, Randall, if you're the best – you're going to start against New Mexico. So at the end of the 10-day period, I named Randall Cunningham as a starting quarterback. He never set the bench again. I think he threw for 450 yards at Albuquerque, and he, that's where Randall was born. But you got to do what you got to do. you got to sometimes make changes. You can't be afraid to make changes. you got to be able to back up your decisions because the kids know they need some motivation. They know what's going on in the huddle of the locker room or meetings, you got to be able to, because that passes a message out to the whole team that no one's job is secure. Don't take it for granted. You're being evaluated on every play in every game. And the kids want the best kids to play, but they want to win too, not just us and the fans. So sometimes you got to step it up and you got to do it. Will Lane Kiffin do it? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to evaluate it when we watch the season. And if you listen to our podcasts or if you listen to me on radio, ESPN, I'll tell you the truth. You know, I always tell you the truth. Sometimes it's not the most popular thing to say, but I'll tell you the truth. All right. Yeah, we're waiting to see, too. Obviously, it wasn't an encouraging sign if you want to see backup quarterbacks come in when it didn't happen in the bowl game. But we'll see. Once the new season starts, we got competition all spring, all fall. We'll uh, definitely be paying attention to that this fall camp to see how that goes. Um, we have some questions on Twitter, Coach. I know you're not on Twitter. You don't tweet or anything. But we had, I asked, uh, since you know we were away for a while, 
I put out on Twitter. So we have a few of those questions if you don't mind answering those. Is that okay? No, no. All right. This is from Elijah Justin Lopez. He says, is USC's schedule strong enough to make a run at the title going from 7-6 to six to a national title? What do you think, Coach? Well, I'll tell you, anything's possible. I think that uh, you got to play one game at a time. And I think you got to play up to your ability and the, the level, and you got to hope that when you play the games you're supposed to win, you win. And when you play against the other teams, you got to be good enough, and you got to be lucky enough, and you got to be injury free enough, and you got to be able to perform to be able to win the close football games when teams are equal. You know, I used to say it's a business trip. There's some games we're just going to win, whether we're ready to play or not. We just can't screw it up. We got to go out there. We've got better players than they got. We're, we should be equally as good as coaches as the other opponent, but we got better players. So if we put our bigger X against your smaller O, then we should win. And I can go through the schedule and say, win, 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 maybe. Tough game. We've got to win this one. Either way, down, down, down. Now, SC's got the same situation, or any team in the country has to face the same type of decision-making. You got to get ready a little bit more than you do for some teams, and you can't be ready to play at the same emotional pace, pitch every single week. When people say they do that, they're wrong, and they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. Sometimes when you do that and you play a team that you're not supposed to beat, and you you just want to go in there, play your best, and get out because if you get too ready to play and you mislead your team, and you know you can't beat this team, and that's what I call body bag games. SC doesn't have body bag games, but some universities do. And you get ready to play thinking you're going to beat Clemson at Clemson, and you get beat, you come back the next week and you're so beat up and mentally beat up and depressed because you lost to the Tigers that you lose the next week to Utah State, a team you should have won or beaten. So, you know, part of preparing your football team is preparing it for what's realistic and what you should do with your ability of your football team. Now, when you're at USC, you play for a Pac-12 championship, you play for a national championship, nothing else is acceptable. There's about 10 programs in the country that I put into that category. And anything less than that, people are grumbled. People are wondering what happened. Now, what's happened in the Pac-12? People have caught up to USC. They got tired of USC beating them all every single year during the Pete Carroll era. So their athletics directors went out and got new coaches, built new facilities, remodeled their stadiums, did whatever they had to do to recruit the athlete away from USC so they could compete, put more money in their football program, paid their head coaches more money, did whatever it took, and it worked. Now you've got a Pac-12 that you can't – I can't really say that there's a gimme – in the Pac-12 anymore. On any given day, anybody can beat anybody. Washington State's going to be a dangerous game at the Coliseum, the second game of the year. Colorado has a new coach. McGuire did a hell of a job at San Jose State. So, you know, all these teams are now getting better and better and better, and SC's got to get better and better and better, or they're not going to be able to compete. And you're starting to see what happened last year, losing some of those games to Arizona and those other teams. That's true, Coach. Um we got a couple more. Let's see. Eric Garcia with the new uh, SEC ESPN network. Do you feel like it's creating an unfair advantage? No, I don't think it is. I think the SEC is smart. They're always ahead of everybody. They're always setting the level. They're always setting the pace with their marketing and everything they do. Then everybody copies them. But they, they make footballs important there. Athletics are important there. Everything's important down there in the Southeastern Conference. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they set the tone. I, I can't criticize someone who's winning. And right now they'll compete in any area they can compete in. TV, marketing, recruiting, publications, anything. So you can't criticize them. You've got to say, hell yes, they're the best. They're the toughest conference. It proves out to be the toughest conference. I'll be the first one to criticize their non-conference schedule. I think it's a joke. But that, they don't care what I think. They have successful programs. 
they're going to play who they have to play. If they don't have to travel far, why travel far? They got to play a team $800 million. Teams are getting million-dollar guarantees, more than that now, to play in the Southeastern Conference and other games. In fact, what they're doing now, some of these schools are buying teams out as far as if you have a home-and-home. What they're doing is saying they're calling and saying, rather than us come out there to your university, you come to our university, we'll give you a million dollars, so we'll give you two million dollars. And an AD figures this out with the money crunch. He says, hell, that's more money if I played him at home. I can't make that kind of money by playing him at home. Or they go to a neutral site. You see all this happening, but money's so important. So if the Southeastern Conference is outworking, outmarketing the other conferences, then that's great. You take the Pac-12, they can't even get on direct TV. <laughs> I mean, and, I, and I'm critical on that because I have direct TV, okay? And it's not funny to people who have direct TV because you either have to go somewhere else if there's a road game or go to someone else's home and they can't get on direct TV. Now, I think that's ridiculous because I would say I don't know how much of the market is direct TV, but I know it's a big portion of it. And that makes you look small time to me. Do what you got to do to publicize your conference. And if it's give up a little bit, then give up some. But get on DirecTV and these other networks. That makes sense, Coach. They're not Fios either, so I, that's, I can't. Never seen the Pac-12 network unless it was at a bar. So uh, hopefully that will change this year. We will see. But didn't, no, no amount of pressure really put it, made it change last year. So we'll see what happens this year. Well, I'm putting pressure on them. I like it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put pressure on them. And I, and I even called a conference twice last year. And I asked them, I said, what is the deal here? Oh, well, we want at least what the, they're paying the, the Big Ten. They're not offering the same as they're paying the Big Ten at these other conferences. And they wanted the same. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, DirecTV said, we're not raising our prices of our subscribers. If you want to get on, this is what we'll give you. So maybe if everybody wanted to call them or call the Pac-12 office and complain about it, it probably would help. But, uh, you know, I think that's uh, something that's really lacking as far as the, uh, the Pac-12 network. Could not agree more. Well, we got one last one for you, Coach. It's from Lord Trojan. He says, when are they going to start teaching them how to play man corner instead of letting them flounder? They're using zone fundamentals. That's from... Lord Church, I think he's talking about the cornerback situation. Well, I think you're right. I think they use a combination of what of both turning sideways and and so on. And you know, if you've been a secondary coach or you know, you know, you you stay bent over and you keep your eyes on the belt buckle and you play inside or outside shade, depending where the field is, or head up, you don't play head up very often, and you bump and run down on the goal line, you don't give them anything on the goal line, you're always uptight. You can't you know, I've seen don't get me wrong, and see, I've seen defensive backs line up five yards deep and they're on the one-yard line. I just pick up, throw the ball out there, and it's a touchdown. So, you know, I, I think you have to play with it. You have to believe in it. You don't teach anything else. You play man all the time if you're going to play it, and you get the type of athletes that can play man. You can't take a guy that can't play man, that's not a great athlete, that runs 4'8", four, 4'9", four, even 4'7", and play man. Because the receivers today are all too fast, too big, too athletic. You just can't cover them. You're playing defensively rather than playing offensively on defense by saying, walking up on his nose and saying, you're not going to catch a pass all day. I just ate garlic cloves all morning. You're going to smell my breath the entire game. And, uh, and have that confidence in yourself. And you've got to be able to be able to play men techniques and, uh, uh, I didn't I didn't watch the teaching of the techniques this spring, but I know exactly what this question or whoever sent this question in means. It's meaning play man techniques. Play the field, back pedal, stay low, watch the belt buckle, uh, turn, go to the football, don't look back until the receiver looks back. Uh, play man. Don't get duped. Play man. And we can go through all that some other time. All right. Well, Coach, really appreciate you coming on the show after a brief hiatus, one week off. But it's good to talk some USC football. Thanks, everyone, for sending those questions in. And I uh, hope you had a good time. We really enjoyed having you on again. Hey, I really enjoyed it, too. And I enjoy and appreciate all your questions. Uh, and, again, this is, this is just my opinion on all this. And, 
Again, too, I want to thank Southern California Ticket Service for their sponsorship, and uh, it is a great spot to get your ticket to any event you want to go to. It doesn't even have to be a local event. It could be anywhere. And Ryan, I'm glad you're back home safely, and, and your secret assignment went well, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Coach, and everyone else back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber is joining the show. Dan, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, great. Great to have you back. Uh, sound good. Yeah, a little, uh, <laughs> a little jet lagged, but it's okay. We're, you know, sorry for everyone for the week off, but we're back here uh, with the Peristyle podcast again. And apparently, Dan, I, I didn't leave during a very exciting time. I guess it's good timing on my part. The throwing sessions have kind of stopped off, and uh, but the, the players did. A bunch of the players did get to uh, graduate. There was some some cool pictures running out there about uh, players that had graduated, and some guys are still going to be coming back. Maybe you want to share a few thoughts on that. Uh, it is nice to see, uh, you know, uh, guys like, uh, you know, John Martinez and, you know, who, who's graduated, Deion Bailey, those guys that, uh, you know, have their, have their diplomas and then uh, get to finish up in the fall. And uh, so uh, it was, it's always a really joyful, happy time with the parents. And it was neat uh, for the third year in a row, kind of a big time uh, USC football player came back to get his degree. Uh, uh, two years ago, it was Troy Polamalu. Last year, it was Justin Fargus. This year, it's uh, it was Darnell Bing, who uh, oh, wow. who left. And, you know, he needed nine. Uh, he, when he left early, uh, he needed nine courses. And you know, he's had an NFL career, I guess, Oakland, and finished up with Houston with the Texans. And he's back doing um, commercial real estate, and he's got a foundation in in Lakewood for. Uh, involving Down syndrome kids uh, after his cousin, uh, involving him in sports. So he's done. He's doing some nice things, but uh, but he also picked up all the courses he needed to get his uh, policy planning and development degree, and was really really proud of it. So uh, it was it was kind of nice to to see those guys come you know come back uh, and uh, and pick up their degree. Yeah, and you can actually see Dan uh, put a nice column up there, uh, free. You don't even have to be a subscriber for it, uh, about Polydad, <laughs> who's on yeah. the Peristyle. Uh, but John Martinez is dad, who's been a, you know been on the site for quite a while. We love him. He's, he's, he's always fun to talk to. Uh, but that was a nice piece. So if everyone, you can go to uscfootball.com and, and check that one out. Yeah, it, it's really neat, too. It, it broke just right because uh, John Martinez's you know, full brother, uh, Kenny, Tafusi, who is a defensive tackle at Cal, as it worked out, he will get his degree at the end of the first semester. So um, uh, uh, Steve was, you know, kind of worried that they might have to do two graduations in like two days, you know, and get from <laughs> Southern California and Northern California. So it's going to work out well that uh, Kenny will get his after after his senior uh, season in the fall. So um, they'll be able to go up there uh, up to Berkeley. Uh, uh, after the first semester and get his, uh, his, uh, you know, go for his graduation ceremony. So that's really what a job, you know, the, the Martinez's have done with those kids. Uh, and, uh, they deserve, uh, uh, you know, it's just, and, and no one has enjoyed it more and been a part of it more. Uh, I used to be as, as a coach, I used to, uh, high school coach, you would say that, when you get a good parent, it's hard. It's really hard to be a parent of a good athlete. It's just, it's, there's just so many things you have to do right, and it's, you want to be part of it, and it's not, you don't know exactly how. 
Steve Martinez is just absolutely, you can't be a better parent of, a, of an athlete uh, than Steve Martinez. He just does it perfectly. He just, uh, you know, if, if only there were a lot of Steve Martinez's <laughs> in the world. He just, uh, he really gets it. And, and, and now it shows. I mean, when you see, um, see John and Kenny both, uh, you know, getting degrees from USC and, and Cal, uh, you just can't do it any better than that. The, um, yeah, it's great stuff there, so definitely check it out on uscfootball.com. Um, so, you know, while this was going, while I was away off in Australia, the, you know, summer, the uh, throwing sessions kind of ended briefly. They'll be coming back in a little bit because, you know, classes were ending, finals were starting up, and obviously graduation happened. So the semester's over, they'll start summer school and all that. So once they get back in the swing of the things, we'll be able to see them uh, kind of throw in these unofficial workouts again. But right now, during this kind of lull, uh, the coaches are going on tours. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I guess uh, tonight uh, they start in uh, Orange County, with, um, and, and it'll be the first chance for Andy Enfield to be out there. And so you've got, uh, uh, very often, like, <laughs> the last couple of years, you'd go to one, and, and Bob Cantu would be the coach even before he was the coach in, in terms of <laughs> representing basketball. Uh, but... Um, uh, John Robinson is usually, and I think he's going to be the MC again this year, and he does such a good job. He, he just, he's as good at, at this as, I mean, you really, he, he reminds you, you know, somebody ought to have a, you know, a, a late night show or something. He just <laughs> does that good a job. He's really become uh, excellent as sort of being the, you know, the host, interviewer, moderator, what have you. But, um, but he, uh, he really brings out, you know, the best in the coaches. And, and this is a perfect time of year. I think, uh, trying to remember uh they go from um uh, newport beach tonight in the balboa bay club to the manhattan beach marriott i think tomorrow side golf club at pasadena on thursday and they end up in uh it's just uh you know if you got a chance it's fun it's kind of an off the record uh, uh it's a chance to do what we're doing and we tried to do a little bit last week, you know, on the uh, on USCfootball.com is basically take a look ahead. And this is the time of year where, you know, I know we last week we took a look ahead at and how does the coach how does the coaching look like it's going to break and all that. This is the time of year for you know taking a step back and you know where there isn't so much news and and for USC that's really unusual because USC we just. You know, every year you're here, every day you're here, you think, how much more news can anybody generate than, you know, than USC <laughs> does? But this is the kind of time of year that they're, you know, you got a chance to, you know, catch your breath and take a look and say, well, I wonder if, well, I wonder. And that's what we've been doing a little bit, and this will give you a chance to, to do that uh, again this week. And I know some of the guys probably on the P, you know, for us, I mean, if you go, it's still the agreement is it's kind of off the record. You can talk to the coaches before and after. We can talk to, you know, the people who are there. But usually somebody on the P will actually kind of, you know, go ahead and kind of take notes and 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 maybe let us let us in on uh, uh, exactly what was said, uh, or you know, kind of paraphrase what's said, and and that's always good. So we uh, we don't get a chance to be reporters because. We tell them uh, we're just here to, just here to you know talk to everybody. Uh, but uh, I would I would say that you know this will be a good week for that. You know where you can say, you know, can this can this team uh, how do they match up? How do they you know have they figured out all the things that went wrong last year? Have they taken after watching you know Stanford do it and UCLA do it and Texas A&M do it and Oregon do it? I know there's still people who say, ah, you can't win with a brand-new quarterback. Yeah, you probably can. (laughs) Uh, That kind of stuff, you know, just kind of thinking about, uh, you know, what – and then looking at the schedule. It's kind of – breaks pretty well. Not, not, you know, for 13-game schedule and you get a trip to Hawaii. And, uh, you know, I I think it's – you know where the trap games are. It's not like they're necessarily going to, you know – you know how how tough it could you know it could be the night after Halloween in uh, Corvallis, Oregon. I mean that's 
hopefully that's not going to be a surprise to anybody. Or, you know, how tough the first road game in the Pac-12 in Tempe at the end of September, how tough that's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be hot and tough, and everybody remembers what happened last time. Same with uh, Corvallis. Everybody remembers the last trip to Corvallis, so or the trip before that, or the trip before that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard to forget. So, uh, uh, but this is the time of year you get you get to do a little bit of that, and playing out your schedule and where you're going to be and where you think USC is going to be. Well, one of the guys, I don't think he's going to be on the coaches tour, but someone that you kind of uh, shared some knowledge before we got on the show, uh, USC Athletic Director uh, Pat Hayden, um, you shared some very interesting information that I did not know. I guess it came out while I was away. Uh, maybe you want to t- talk about that yeah, a little bit. Well, USA Today, and, 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 you know, it's available. Even for the private schools, the salary information is available on the uh, IRS Form 990, which, uh, you know, all tax-exempt uh, 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 institutions have to fill out, and they have to list their five highest-salaried uh, uh, employees and Pat made the Pat made the list for I guess two th- the year ending in 2012 uh, at uh, 2.2 million uh, highest paid Woo. and it may include <laughs> deferred compensation other kind of stuff I, mean, I don't think we're ever going to know all the details but but that put him as the highest paid athletic director in the country who's specifically an athletic director uh, the uh, the Vanderbilt aid now Vanderbilt has a really weird situation. They don't have a separate athletic department. They have an athletic department that's like part of the school's academic department, and the guy who runs it is also a uh, university vice chancellor or vice chancellor for university relations, and uh, he's also a tenured law professor. So he's like getting three. AD, you know, all three of those jobs. So he ends up over $3 million, the guy, wow. the guy at uh, Vanderbilt. I think his name is David Williams, maybe. Uh, but other than that, Pat is uh, pretty much in a, in a place by himself. Uh, he's uh, at, at $2.2 million. I think the, uh, the fellow, Mal Moore, at Alabama, who died in March, uh, but, you know, well respect, long-time well-respected athletic director at Alabama, uh, he was making 600000 a year. So just for comparison, <laughs> it, uh, it, uh, you know, it's it just, uh, what all it would say is, wow, let's hope that's a, re- a reflection of how much USC values its athletic program. And, uh, and, and when you're paying that kind of money, uh, it probably means you expect it to, uh, to really reflect, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, those kinds of resources that you're putting into, uh, you know, the people that are, that are running your athletic program. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I think between uh, Pat and Monty uh, Kiffin, that was, uh, that was $4 million. Wow. And throw <laughs> in uh, Kevin and Neil and you're up to 5.7. How did 2012, I don't know uh, how, how did that, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, come up with a little bit of a take on, on, on the way that that could be a good thing and doesn't necessarily have to be, but uh, uh, just kind of interesting that, uh, I mean, I think I was kind of, and I know, you know, UCLA's athletic director, Dan Guerrero, and I kind of kidded him about, he's up, you know, well over 700 and some thousand dollars a year, you know, at, wow, that's, you know, good deal. You know, because he was the uh, living out here in Orange County. He was the athletic director at UC Irvine, and he, you know, went back to his alma mater and has has done really well for himself. And I thought, wow, Pat's getting three times, <laughs> three times as much as Dan. So, uh, uh, I guess if you get in those arguments with your buddies from UCLA, you can really put them down now. <laughs> well, you did get, you know. Four Pete's in uh, like tennis and, and men's water polo national championships, but as far as like salary ratio to from salary ratio to uh, ratio of performance to salary, I don't know if there'd be a, a worse one in the country when you're talking about you know Monty Kiffin making over a million and and Kevin O'Neill making one point seven or something like that. I mean that's 
that's a lot of money going out for not a whole lot of results on the on the field or the court. Yeah, I know. I mean, when you want to say, "Hey, we're number one," you really you don't want the other people snickering at you uh, <laughs> when you when you're talking about um, you know putting out that kind of money. You want to you know you want to be able to put it out and say that you know in a very proud way. Hey, you know we really you know we believe uh, uh, how you know the importance, and we're gonna you know. You're going to back it up with, uh, you know, I would think, you know, at that kind of money, you really do have to have the best athletic department in the country. And uh, I think that's a challenge. I think we'll see. You know, you really do have to, you know, if you say we've got the best uh, student athletic, you know, academic services uh, operation, you really have to figure out how to make it that, not just say it's that. Um, same with the, uh, the food services, you know, and all of that. I think uh, – you know, I think the, you know, the challenge is there. I mean, if you're saying, boy, uh, we are going to invest this kind of money into the people running this program, uh, then uh, this program's really got to be right there with the, uh, you know, the resources that you've invested in it. And you put in the most money of anybody in the country. Uh, at the top, I think the, uh, the students ought to reflect that. You know, I don't think, you know, for example, and I know that I think they really are fighting for Abe Markowitz with the NCAA, but it really wouldn't reflect well if uh, at the one end you're putting that kind of effort and resource, and at the other end, you know, kids like Abe Markowitz are having to drop off, or um, a kid like Kylie Fitz, there's no place for him at the last minute because uh, people that you expected to graduate didn't make it. And, uh, you know, it's all got to work together. And um, maybe it hasn't, you know, worked together all that well uh, over the last year. And and, and one of the other things is uh, maybe you uh, develop a little bit of a strategy to to combat the completely over-the-top and outrageous, and now we know so much more about it, NCAA penalties that, uh, you know, are hitting USC with, you know, the unprecedented never before in history has anybody been forced to go three straight seasons with 75 scholarships. And uh, one would have might, might have liked to have seen a strategy developed for ameliorating, you know, those penalties. And now that it's obvious to everybody in the country how uh, far out of, uh, you know, out of the ballpark those things were and how wrong they were. And I, I would think not a person on that committee on infractions for USC uh, right now uh, would be able to defend those. And one would have wished that by now USC would have figured out a way to have uh, maybe uh, made an attempt to, to try to get those, uh, um, you know, adjusted to some extent. And maybe in the, you know, Ed Markowitz case, we're seeing that uh, USC is at least uh, battling for his his right to finish out his college career at USC, uh, something he certainly deserves to do and not have to be in order to finish his sixth year. He's got to go find somebody else that's willing to take him here at the last minute. Yeah, agreed, Dan. We'll see what, hap- <clears throat> Excuse me, what happens with that, uh, the Abe Markowitz situation. But good stuff there. And We have a couple questions if we can uh, get them in real quick before we let you go. Tarion wrote in, and he said, Dan, I'm surprised. Uh, to not see more competition for Andre Walker's left tackle position. How do you feel about the situation at left tackle at this point? I think you're right. I, I'm surprised, too. Uh, uh, interesting. Uh, I think it's been, you know, last year and this year, that's been the most uh, – it's been the position we just haven't been able to figure out what are they trying to – I mean, they gave it to him last year, basically – after three weeks of being hurt in August. And, uh, and that was a disaster. He wasn't ready to play there. And uh, it kind of set the tone for an offensive line that wasn't ready to play. Now, you know, he had his moments and, you know, kind of uh, uh, Andre, you know, it's impossible not to like. Uh, you know, you, there are times you, you kind of wish he was focused a little bit more. Uh, and you think he, he, he's not the perfect left tackle not that they have anybody who's you know and this is the problem after you know Matt Khalil it's hard to have somebody that you think you know um, is the perfect guy to play there after Anthony you know Munoz who maybe you know the best best uh, left tackle in the history of you know football uh, so 
I, I wish I could. I wish I could give you a little more insight into exactly how that you know position is going. It's interesting that they created the uh, the competition at right tackle. You know, with uh, you know, that's a that's a really good question and probably something we need to ask Coach Summers about when we get a chance to sit down with him this summer uh, as to exactly what you know what the game plan is there but uh i think you're right about that competition at, at left tackle i think nathan gertler is probably you know a guy that you could definitely plug in uh and you know for for a walk-on you can't you expect possibly in any any way in any program in the country to have anybody better as a, you know as a walk-on kid who, who you could plug in there but uh but it's interesting that, you know, so much uh, of the uh, young talent, the, you know, the Jordan Simmons, Zach Banner, they're all on the right side. And I um, uh, don't know. I, I, it's a good question and, and something we really need to pay attention to. Let's see. We got a few Twitter questions, too. I asked for some Twitter questions, so we'll do a quick couple of those. At TitanTroy86 wants to know, who is the most surprising player, you think, from spring football? Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's a good question. I mean, I think Kessler, uh, you know, considering he kind of got, you know, not, you know, what he went from the backup two years, a year ago to not the backup this year. And there was kind of a, you know, a sense of maybe he hadn't gotten a fair shot. His ability to kind of step in and sort of take over that position uh, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, partly because of, you know, Max Wittick's, uh uh, injury that knocked him out for a couple of weeks, but uh, but that was I don't know you say surprising, but it was um, kind of eye opening that he had that that ability. I think Justin Davis's ability to you know really just fit in the way he did. I mean he just totally um, seemed to get it. Now that's you know for running backs who do get it, you know there isn't a big adjustment period. It's it's pretty much uh, you know. A lot of that you do by, you know, by feel, and a lot of that you do by just being ready. Uh, I don't think anybody else that would really jump out at you. I think those two would would be maybe more than anybody. Uh, just their where they ended, up, where they basically where they were the entire spring. It was just wow. Okay, I mean, I think you know we were uh, Trey Madden's just uh, how far back he is. And how much, how he was able to do more than than I think we thought he would, I think that was a really good sign. It and we just didn't know, and I don't think they knew till they saw him. Uh, they saw him out there. And if you want to throw in one more, I guess Marcus Martin's uh, ability uh, switching over to center and kind of looking more natural at center almost than he you know did at guard and feeling more at home at center. I mean, he just it looked like he just wow. I this is something I love doing this. This is great. That isn't always the case with center. I mean, you got all kinds of things to do and think about, and you know, mechanically and changes your steps and all that. And he just seemed to welcome it. That this boy, this is my home. I, you know, why didn't I find this sooner? You know, that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, if only uh, now we're <laughs> waiting for somebody. You know, probably I was thinking about the secondary too. It just watching. Uh, Sue Craven step in there, you know, a little over six, six, you know, so he's not quite six one, I don't know, 220 pounds, and looking like an NFL safety, 17 years old, and in the body of an NFL safety or a body the NFL safety wish he had, uh, and just his ability to make plays the way he does, he kind of he moves silently, kind of you know, smoothly, quietly, but then he has that violent result, you know, at collision. Uh, whereas so many of the, the great USC, you know, secondary guys, the Ronnie Lotts and Troy Polamalis, when they were coming, you knew they were coming, and you knew they were going to deliver a blow, and you, you could hear them coming. And Sue is different. Sue is kind of, you know, like he's one, like an electric car or something. He's just getting there, you know, quietly, and then he delivers the blow. But uh, he's uh, he's really impressive um, uh, kid. He just has that look about him of, of something, you know, something special. So, 
uh, and, and getting to see him in person, I think. And, you know, in video, on TV, uh, it's one thing, but, but watching him in person, uh, he's, uh, he's a really impressive kid. Um, Jared Still, our buddy, wanted to know, he's down in Texas, he said, I've been wondering since reading it, when Dan says that you all think they'll get the QB position right, what who does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not coaching them and I'm not, you know, and, and one of the things that you don't want to do is you don't want to get so involved that, you know, it looks like you're, you're pushing somebody, you really, um, you know, uh, went over another one or whatever. I, I think it's worked really well. The three uh, three man competition. Uh, you know, I think just in terms of uh, knowing the offense, uh, comfort level in the huddle, uh, the look that you get from you know the guy calling the plays and the guy that's going to handle the ball in every play, the ability to extend plays, uh, the ability to maybe see most of the field, uh, the ability to you know tuck the ball in and, you know, take five yards if that's the only thing available and, and, um, and a feeling of, you know, not trying to do everything with your arm, uh, you know, it, it leans toward Cody. It would seem to lean toward, toward Cody Kessler, just, uh, you know, from a, from a lot of those, those different things. Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, you don't want to say, uh, you know, Max got a, he had a really tough deal with getting hurt in that uh, you know kick blocking drill where he was a holder and knocked out for a couple <laughs> of weeks when he would have had a chance to you know because he got thrown in there uh, you know in the Andy UCLA game the Notre Dame game and then the uh, and then the uh, uh, Sun Bowl which uh, and then you know no relief I mean here's this kid it was like a starting pitcher that. You know, had already given up 12 runs in the you know fourth inning, and they didn't take him out. And uh, so he's he not had a. It's not been a good deal, you know, for Max. He's not had, you know, the best of you know opportunities in some ways. And he's got. I know when Ryan put that head cam on him the other the other day at throwing session, the power in his arm. I mean, when he throws the ball, you know, past that camera, and you just. I mean, this is a guy. You wonder if uh, if he picked up the javelin could he you know could be an olympic javelin thrower i mean you know there may not be a stronger arm in the country uh you know playing college football uh but uh in terms of who's who's the most ready i think if the competition goes the way it's been going and it's allowed to go and 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 max brown has done a wonderful job i mean he's you know from the beginning of spring to the end of spring He's, uh, he's getting everything out of every every practice that he's supposed to get, and he he knows what he needs to do, and he's he's right there. You know, he I mean, not as not necessarily as a starter, but as a guy who could be if he had to be. Uh, you know, in appearance, absolutely, he's come that far, uh, and still needs you know physical you know developing and all that. But I I thought they handled the way they handled the quarterback situation in the spring really well. And that's a good thing. And I don't think it'll be one of those, well, we're picking the guy with a strong arm because if Ma- if Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar run really far, really fast, he he can throw the ball, you know, the farthest. And, you know, for the, nah, nah. that was sort of the excuse, you know, you got, well, we really like, you know, he's got that big arm. Like how often do they throw that, that pass? You know, I mean, the ideal thing with uh, with those guys is to hit them, you know, 20, 25 yards downfield, let them run it the rest of the way. But you got to throw it accurately. you got to throw it to the right guy at the right time. Uh, and, you know, based on the criteria they've set up, probably uh, Cody, you know, certainly has the inside track it would seem at this point in time. And one last one, Dan. This is from Big E on uh... – Twitter, he said, last year's sanctions, how quick can SC get back to full strength and have a full roster of scholarship players? Well, they're going to have, you know, guesstimated 69 uh, this fall, and they can recruit 20, uh, and they lose the, uh, the senior whose number escapes me at this point in time. They can't get back next year. Uh, 
Can they get back in the second year? Probably not quite. I mean, I don't know. Can they sign 33? Like, who who signed 33? Georgia signed 33 this year? <laughs> I'm not sure USC could probably, you know, finesse that, that quite as much. I mean, they, they did a heck of a job getting the early entry kids in that they did. But uh, there might not be as, as much, which is, again, a reason why USC really ought to be pounding on the NCAA for those emails, pounding on the NCAA for transparency, pounding on the NCAA to adjust uh, the penalties. It's just so outrageous that USC has sat back. You know, okay, now they finally they pushed it a little bit in the spring, and after two years after we suggested they do it, they allowed you know fans to watch from the baseball stadium. Big whoop. Okay, that's great. That's that's a start. That should have happened year one, not year three. Yeah. Uh, same way with the scholarship thing. There is no way USC should have ever accepted that, and. And this is not a you know a comment that they should have sued anybody or should have gone to court or done any of that. No, uh-uh. but there were ways USC could have worked the system. USC could have done things that would have made the powers that be at the NCAA uncomfortable. They could have. They chose not to. I mean, Missy Conboy at Notre Dame ought to have to feel uncomfortable every day of her life for signing off on uh, those penalties. And there ought to be ways that USC could drop little, uh, little hints little, in little places about how Notre, you know, how Notre Dame basically you know, participated in a uh, you know, raid against its you know, top rival uh, in a way that were, you know, were really unfair. And, uh, and, 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 and conducted, as, her, as she is a member of the Committee on Infractions, was part of a group that conducted itself in a pretty lawless way, in, in a way that where the emails show now that they violated their own rules, they lied about it, and now they don't want anybody to know about it. Well, why hasn't USC tried to put that out there and put it out there and put it out there? Why haven't they thought about intervening, for example, in the, uh, in the appellate procedure and saying, you know, Judge, you said that, you know, it's a uh, the public has a right to know here. These are part of the court, you know, file now, which makes them a part of the public uh, file. And uh, but that it's okay to hold. There's no real harm being done. Uh, and to, if we wait before we release them until the appellate, you know, process goes through. What if USC said, you know what, there is harm being done. We're being, you know, required to. Uh, conduct football at USC at one of the three schools that's never played down in its schedule, never played an opponent other than a, you know, division one opponent. Uh, and we have the, you know, these, these commitments and we're having to do it with fewer players, you know, 16 fewer than, than most schools will have on scholarship starting in the fall. And that's unfair to our players. That's, it's really not, it's not almost safe. And, uh, uh, we really want we want some redress here, and we want to know what did the NCA do, how much did they know about how much they were violating the rules, and what can we do about this in order to make this right? And why should our players, why should innocent kids that were in grade school have to lose scholarships, have to be told to go somewhere else when uh, when maybe – if those emails, you know, and, and all the uh, things that the NCAA did during the USC case, you know, can, you know, become public, just as in the Shabazz Muhammad case, as soon as that became public, how, you know, the NCAA was trying to railroad, you know, UCLA's freshman, he immediately became eligible. Okay, well, maybe uh, that kind of thing has to happen with USC, but UCLA fought it. Um, you know, Iowa State fought it. Uh, North Carolina fought it. North Carolina fought 20 years and thousands of courses, of uh, bogus courses that athletes were taking. Didn't even have to go to school. And uh, the NCA said, no big whoopee. You know, big deal. We'll <laughs> let it go. You know, I mean, it's just, but no, we won't let those, uh, you know, tennis calls back to Romania. Oh, no, that makes it a major, major infraction. Uh, I just think, you know, that's the kind of thing I think USC should have figured out a policy other than saying things like we're going to, you know, we're going to win the right way now. <laughs> uh, I think winning the right way would have been going after 
in any way you could. And when the NCAA gives you an opportunity, when, you know, when thank to Todd McNair's, you know, toughness and will, unwillingness to give up, and thanks to his, you know, lawyers who set a, kind of set a trap for the NCAA, where the NCAA had to allow uh, discovery and, and, and for those emails to come out, uh, you know, here's a, the USC didn't have to do anything. Yes, he could have sat on the sidelines, but he could have gotten involved now, somehow, some way. If it's no more than just, you know, a press conference to talk about it, uh, something uh, to say that this isn't right and what was done to our kids, to our school, to our reputation, that wasn't right. And, uh, and we're not going to accept it. But, you know, I know that's... Uh, I mean, I know we said this two years ago, and a lot of people were saying, ah, forget about it, Todd McNair doesn't have a chance, blah, blah, blah. You know, well, looks like he does. They're in an awfully good place as far as Todd McNair is concerned. Well, one would think that since it was so important for the NCAA to tie Todd McNair to the case in order to be able to nail USC, the fact that Todd McNair is where he is now with his case and the NCAA is where they are, uh, why isn't that benefiting USC to any extent? That's the question. It certainly is, Dan. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up for this week. But thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Appreciate it. We're, you know, no more weeks off for a while. I'll be around. <laughs> so we'll keep going with the show. Send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. And thanks again, Dan. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Ryan. All right. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 